Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. I am very excited because I'm going to break open for you. I'm going to be sharing with you a series of talks I give on the mass. I think that it's one of the more important series that I've ever done to help awaken to Catholics the reality of encountering Christ in the mass. And and that will save your life and so transform your life. And so that's what we're going to happen uh, beginning today on Sound Insight and for the rest of the week. I hope and pray that this is a blessing to you. After we come back, we'll dive right in with that series. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. It's a thrill to be with you all here today, and the the series is called The Mass, Four Encounters with Jesus That Will Change Your Life. The Mass is a big deal, and what happens at Mass, what we are invited into at Mass, is an incredibly big deal. And that which is going to be put into our hands at Mass, that which we are invited to receive at Mass, is the biggest of big deals. If we appreciate it, if we have the eyes to see it. The Catholic Church, if I want to use theological language, says that the Mass is a big deal. It says that the Mass is the source, the summit, and the center of our life of faith. Well, first of all, what's faith? If it's our our life of faith, what is faith? What's faith? Faith, one of the ways of defining faith is unlimited trust and entrustment of oneself into God's hands. To say, I, try, I have faith in you, God, is to say, God, I put myself into your hands freely, completely, and forever. Do you ever find situations in your life, times in your life, where it's difficult to trust to put yourself into God's hands freely, completely, entirely. The Mass is going to help us with this. The Mass is the source, summit and center. Source. What's the source of something? The origin, very good. The source is the, uh, the a source of something is its origin. There's going to be something about Mass that will help originate, help to be a source of faith in our lives. So think about that. Mass is intended to be a source of faith in our lives. Not just the source, but the summit. What's the summit of something? What's the summit of Mount Rainier? The top, the highest point, the very greatest expression. So I want you to say that the greatest expression, the most profound expression of entrustment of oneself to God in our life of faith happens at Mass. Really? When? You'll find out. And it's the center of our faith. The center of something is that around which everything else revolves and coordinates. 
right? And so somehow we've got things backwards. We tend to think we live in the world and on Sundays for one hour we go to church. I want to propose to you what the church says to us is, no, the center of your identity, the center of your life here on earth is to be found at Mass. You live somehow towards Mass, and you live your life from Mass. Somehow Mass is intended to be the center of our very lives, but somehow it's been pushed off into a corner that should take no longer than an hour. It takes longer than an hour. People are starting to look at their watches. What's going on here? And so, wait a minute. The church says on the one hand that the mass is the source and the summit and the center of our life of faith. But if you look at surveys, um, why did you stop practicing your faith? You know, young people that left the practice of their Catholic faith. The number one answer that was almost three times as high as the second answer was that they found their experience of church to be boring. And that is why they stopped practicing their faith. What a stunning thought. Wait a minute. The Catholic Church teaches that the Mass is the source and the summit and the center of our life of faith. It's our precious treasure. It's a big deal. And yet those who have grown up Catholic, those who come through high school into college and they wander away from the faith, it's the number one reason why they're not practicing their Catholic faith any longer. They're bored. It's not relevant. It doesn't mean anything to me. I can't connect what happens at Mass to my daily life. Something is off. Something is wrong. Have you ever been bored at Mass? Have you ever said to yourself, whoa, I'm sitting down for the readings. Are we on the second reading already? What happened? What was that first reading? And we kind of glaze over. That happened to me once. <laughs> In the last week. Right? Well, how do we address this? What are we going to do about this? I want to give you, uh, I want to give you a, a simple idea, and that's this. We should expect Mass to be boring for those who are coming. We should expect it to be boring unless three things are alive in that person. Three things. The first is information, the second is insight, and the third is involvement. Information, insight, and involvement. What do I mean? Information, understanding. You should expect someone to be bored at Mass if they don't understand what's happening. So, for instance, one time I was talking with a um, group of sixth graders about their faith, and I said, who likes soccer, right? And in the Northwest, big sport, right? Sure enough, everybody raises their hand except for one boy. Who doesn't like soccer? One boy. And I said, do you play soccer? No. I said, have you ever played soccer? No. Do you understand soccer if you watch it on TV? No, I don't know. I don't get it. Well, because he doesn't understand it, he is bored. We should expect 
that if someone doesn't understand what's happening at Mass, why are we doing what we're doing? What does it mean? We're going to be bored. So one way to address boredom, very important, is to get good information, life-giving information, to increase our understanding of what's happening at Mass. What's the history of that gesture? Why do we say those words instead of these other words? What's the explanation for that symbol? Understanding will be critical, good information. But the Catholic Church is not uh, tasked by God himself in Jesus Christ to proclaim good information, but rather good news. Good news. And so I propose to you that we need to get beyond information. You can read all the books you want on the history of the Mass and still be bored. Why? Because it might just be mere information and not insight. What's insight? Insight is when information is able to cast some new light, help you to see in, ah, insight. You can see into, you have sight into yourself in a new way. And so there's a sense of connection between the reality that is being understood and yourself. There's a sense of connection. So for instance, when I was talking to these kids about soccer, I said to them, I said, what's your favorite team? Well, the loudest voice that came out, the almost a unanimous voice was the Sounders. Why? It's the home team. It's the home team. We connect with the Sounders. There's this sense of, I know them. I feel this bond of connection with them. But we have to go beyond that to gain a sense of insight. How does what is happening here connect to my life. But there's a third level, and this is the deepest level of all. It's beyond understanding, mere information. It's beyond connection, that level of insight. It goes all the way down to the level of involvement. Well, let me use another word, participation. Participation. I said, when I asked these kids... What's your favorite soccer team? I said, there was almost unanimous, the voice that said the Sounders. There was one girl who said, the Lightning. And I said, who are the Lightning? You know who the Lightning was? Her team. It was the team that she was on. You see, it was more than just she was connected to a team that she followed at a distance and cheered on from the stands. No, no. This was the team where she was on the field. She was in the game. She was involved. She was participating. And this is the most profound and I think significant level uh, of what occurs at Mass that will help lift us out of a temptation or inclination towards boredom when we realize that the pew isn't the stands. Being in the pew, you're not in the stands. You're not watching the action. If you're in the pew, if you're in this holy space, which is the church at Mass, you are on the playing field. You are, quote-unquote, in the game. You have a part to play. Now, 
the way that the Catholic Church talks about this in the Catechism, the, the way that the Church says this is this, is that at Mass uh, and in our whole life of faith, the events that make up the life of Jesus aren't just connected, they aren't just connected to our lives. In other words, that Jesus, through his passion and death and resurrection, it's meaningful to me because somehow it has touched my life. It connects to my life. Uh, I I now receive grace and mercy from, from these great events. No, no. What the church says is that those events in the life of Jesus, they just it's not just that they come close to your life, it's that you are to be plunged into the events themselves. You are to be immersed into these events themselves. That somehow the events in the life of Jesus are going to show up in you. You're involved in them. And so how does the resurrection of Jesus come close to my life? Through my coming close to the passion and death and resurrection of Jesus. You should expect that in your life, Good Friday is going to show up. It's not just that it's relevant to you when you suffer. No, it's that Good Friday is going to show up in you. Oh, aren't you glad you came today? Good Friday showing up in me. Can I, can I have Resurrection Sunday show up in me? I want, I want Easter to show up in me. I want Pentecost, right? Do I, do I want the, the, the walking the way of the cross to show up in me? But wait a minute. I want the resurrection, but the only way to get to the resurrection is to go through the cross. Wow. If that's what happens at Mass, then that changes everything. There'll be many things you can say about the Mass but you won't be able to say anymore that it's boring. Well, how do we get there? How do we accomplish this? How do we grow in our understanding and in our insight? How do we grow in our sense of involvement? So what we are going to do as we walk through the Mass is we're going to pay attention. We're going to pay attention to what shows up. What shows up in the Mass itself? What shows up in us? as we are literally walking through the Mass, the things that we say, the postures that we take, the words that we speak, the, the, the unfolding of the ritual, the very order of it, how it's showing up. Let's pay attention to that. There's something very meaningful here if we have the eyes to see it. Well, John Paul II said, if we want the renewal that the Second Vatican Council hoped for, we got to take all of those incredible documents and we have to somehow bring them alive in our context. And what he proposes in his book, Sources of Renewal, is that if we want to experience this renewal, this coming alive that the documents propose, that God wills, that we have to focus first not, not, on the teaching itself. Here's the teaching. He says that the teaching itself, of course we need it to be the orthodox teaching of what the church is actually saying. But he says that this teaching has to be, here's his language now in Sources of Renewal, it has to be inserted into consciousness. Doesn't that make it clear? It has to be inserted into consciousness and it will give rise to an attitude that then will become manifest 
in a behavior. What he's saying is this. If you want to change, if you want to experience deep renewal, deep conversion, with regards to, for instance, your participation at Mass, don't just first or, and last focus on correct content and correct postures. Like, are we following the rules and are we uh, teaching the right things? He says, okay, you have to presume all that. Accept all of that. Make sure all of that's happening. But that's not going to be sufficient. That's not going to get you there. Because all of those things, they have to somehow get planted in how you see something. Awareness, consciousness, will overflow into how you relate to it, your attitude. And how you relate to it, your attitude, will overflow into your actions or your behaviors. It's so easy for us to think that we're going to foster a renewed Catholic participation at Mass simply by saying, change your behavior and understand this content. If you uh, uh, conform your behaviors to proper behaviors and you capture all of this information, then somehow you're going to be awakened and renewed. John Paul II says, that's not how conversion works. We have to foster a whole new way of seeing, seeing the Mass, and seeing ourselves at Mass. And out of that, we'll foster a whole new way of relating, and then you know what? The behaviors will follow. The new actions will show up. It'll be so very different. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Now, I'm going to draw a quote from, uh, it's like more, a little bit more of a paraphrase, it's almost a quote, from St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure, a doctor of the church, he taught at the University of Paris for a short time, along with St. Thomas Aquinas, two doctors of the church, teaching at the same time, at the same university. Now, that's an education. Uh, He ended up becoming the minister general of the Franciscan community. And um, one of the things he wrote in his theology is this, and it's a little bit of a paraphrase. He says this, that the quality of my recognition is made manifest by my response. Recognition, remember? Seeing, paying attention to what's showing up. Are you seeing what's there? Are you seeing what is there to be shown that's showing up? Well, one of the ways you know how well you see is by looking at how you're actually responding. The quality, the depth of your ability to see is manifesting itself by how you're acting. Let me give you a story. Carrie, my wife, and I were sitting on the couch watching a football game. Mary Grace, just a few months old, was sick. And Mary Grace decided to share the contents of her stomach with Carrie's shirt. She threw up on Carrie, started crying. Not Carrie, the baby. And... uh, Carrie then took the messy Mary Grace and her messy self and went into the kitchen, 
cleaned off. Did I mention I was watching a football game? Okay, I was watching a football game. And so cleans off Mary Grace, cleans off herself. She comes back in and sits down next to me and turns and looks at me and says, Tom, did you see what just happened? And I thought to myself, is this a trick question? And I said, yes. And she then said to me, why didn't you do anything to help me? And I thought to myself, there is no good answer to this question. (laughs) Let me ask you the question. Did I see what had just happened? Yeah, all the women. Yes, (laughs) you did. Yes, you did see. I did see. But what was the quality of my recognition? How deeply did I recognize what was at stake in that moment? What was being asked for from me in that moment? How well did I see, if you will, the moral quality, the value of that moment? How well did I see that? Not well at all. What would have been different if I had better seeing? What would have changed if I had recognized more fully what was at stake in that moment and what was asked for me? What would have changed? My response, my actions. Hey, the guy's throwing me under the bus right here, right? What would I have done? What should I have done, right? I should have turned the TV down, right? (laughs) No, when that happened, when that showed up, When that showed up, if I was paying attention, I would have turned the TV off, turned to Carrie. What can I do? Do you want me to get a cloth? Can I take the baby? How can I help? The quality of my recognition was made manifest by my response. I say to you that if our response to being at Mass is, I'm bored... If that's my response, is it that mass is boring? I propose to you, no. It's not that mass is boring. We're boring. We're not recognizing what's showing up. And because we're not seeing what's showing up, what's at stake in what's showing up, what is there to be seen in what's showing up, we're not responding appropriately. And so our response is, I am bored. We are going to walk through the Mass from beginning to end. We're going to walk through the Mass. We're going to take a look at as much of the Mass as we can. If we're going to cover every single word and phrase and prayer, we'll, we'll be doing this until we meet Jesus, okay? Uh, so we don't have time to do that. So I'm going to do my best to cover the most important of the, or the significant actions and words and phrases and the prayers and the ritual itself of the Mass. I'm going to walk through the Mass from beginning to end. And as I do, hopefully we're going to apply this phenomenological method, which is what? Pay attention to what's showing up. Because if we pay attention to the Mass and what the Church teaches at the Mass, it's not just a what that is showing up at Mass, but a who that is showing up at Mass? A who? Who's showing up at Mass? If you're not sure, when I ask a question, just say Jesus, okay? (laughs) You're bound to be right a significant percentage of the time, okay? Who is showing up at Mass? Jesus Christ. It's Jesus, really. No, it's not 
just a remembrance of Jesus. Jesus Christ is present at Mass. Do you know the, the word presence in Latin, if you go right back to its root, this is what it means. It means to turn towards and to face. Burl, am I present to you right now? Very much. Am I a little too present to you right now? <laughs> a little. A little. <laughs> to be present means to turn towards and to face. There's a, a sense of face-to-face, here's the word, encounter. It is an event. Why, why do I use those words? Our Holy Father, Blessed Pope John Paul II, uses these words quite a bit in his own reflections about being a Christian and about growing in our faith, growing in our relationship with God. In fact, in his first encyclical, Deus Caritas Est, God is Love, he says this. In the first paragraph, so he's launching out in his first encyclical where he's going to grab everybody's attention. In the first paragraph of the first encyclical, this is what he says. He says, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, Jesus Christ, that gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. And so often, what do we end up thinking? Being Christian is what? Oh, I'm doing Christian things in my behavior. Oh, you're not being very Christian means you're not acting in accord with values that would be associated with Christianity. No, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea. We so often want to say, well, you're Catholic or not because you have these lofty ideas. He said, well, well, guess what? Does the Catholic Church have lofty ideas and ethical choices to make? Absolutely. Read the catechism. But he's saying it's not at the essence. It's not at the center. It's not the first thing to focus on. The first thing to focus on is what? Jesus Christ as a person that you meet in an event. There's an encounter. There's a meeting. And this meeting is so influential that what does it change? Everything. It changes the entire horizon. My entire outlook on life has changed because I've met Jesus. I've had an encounter with Jesus. And bam, it was this inbreaking event. It changed everything. It was an event. You think about going to an event that's different than being bored at this thing I'm forced to go to week to week. A new horizon and a decisive direction. It's decisive. That is what, and that's just one quote. I could go on and draw, read what our Holy Father, um, he reflected on in his Wednesday audiences about the 12 apostles. And in almost every single one, you know what he emphasizes? The event of the encounter that those apostles had, each of them individually, with Jesus Christ and how that was decisive for them. And guess what they went on to do as a result of this decisive event of the encounter with Jesus Christ? Oh, they ended up understanding lofty ideas and making incredible ethical choices, like giving up their life for the proclamation of the gospel. So please, it's not an either or, it's a both and, but we have to get the essence right. We have to get the center right. It's the meeting with Jesus Christ. Now guess what? 
The church proposes one of the church's lofty ideas is that at Mass, there's something at stake. There's something at stake for all of you. You're not watching TV, a football game, on a Sunday afternoon when you're in the pew at Mass. But there's someone showing up. Someone is showing up. And if we can pay attention to the showing up of Jesus, to the manner of his showing up, the manner of his presence, we're going to have this encounter, this being present. He's turned towards you. He's facing you. This is what's at stake. Well, where's Jesus Christ? How is Jesus Christ showing up at Mass? Who can think of a presence of Jesus Christ at Mass? How is Jesus showing up at Mass? How is he present at Mass? One, where's Jesus Christ present at Mass? In the Eucharist, one presence of Christ at Mass. Where else is Jesus Christ present at Mass? In the Word proclaimed, very good. Where else is Jesus Christ present at Mass? In the, in the community, the theological word is the assembly. In the community that is gathered at Mass, that has assembled at Mass, Jesus Christ is distinctly present. And where else? The fourth presence of Christ? In the priest in the priest. Now, you're going to find that so much of what we say and what we do at Mass is, in fact, a response to the recognition that we're present at an event, at an event that is so profound, it's established by God to be a means of encountering the risen and personal Lord Jesus Christ who's turned to you, who's facing you. Why? To change your life. The procession begins at home. Well, in my home, having a lot of little kids, um, it takes serious effort and focus to get our family ready to go out the door. Now, at its height of serious focus requirement, when our oldest kids were a little bit younger, that was about two years ago, we knew that we needed one hour and 15 minutes of serious focused attention and, and that was one hour and 15 minutes to backing out of the driveway to say go and Carrie and I was like a full court press if you watch basketball full court presses when you're on the people totally focused attention on them that's literally how long it took us to get our kids out the door into the into the van um, to go to church one Sunday we took an hour and 14 minutes not an hour and 15 I didn't realize what was at stake until we arrived at the front of the church and we have our simple ritual where I pull the van up in front of the church. All the kids jump out of the van with Carrie. I then go park the van and then um, join them in the pew. And as I had parked, I stopped the van in front of the church and the kids were jumping out. All of a sudden, I noticed John Luke, who at this point was four years old, um, no, three years old, he jumped out of the van in his brown monkey costume. Well, how did that happen? Now, I had, get the kids in the car, kids in the car, everyone's getting in the car. John Luke was already in his car seat when I arrived, and he had on this nice brown shirt, so I thought, because the kids know that they're supposed to wear Sunday best, Sunday clothes, mass clothes, not typical clothes. And so I thought Kerry had helped him. Kerry thought I had helped him. And so as far as we knew, here he was in this nice brown shirt, quick glance in the car. Well, he jumps out of the van in the monkey costume. And Kerry looks at me and I look at him, uh, look at her, and we both look at him. And there he is, smiling with this big three-foot tail. 
in his hand. I'm like, oh, this is not going to be fun. So sure enough, during the Mass, I'm holding him with two hands because he's there with his monkey uniform on, uh, a monkey costume on. And anytime I'd like relax and hand for a minute, he'd take the tail and he'd swing it around. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, mercy. Now, I say that the procession begins at home, especially for families, for a reason. Um, Oftentimes, we can be speaking the words of the name of the Lord in our very efforts to get our kids to get to the house of the Lord. Like, get in that van right now before you go meet the Lord, right? It can be uh, very, let's say, counter spiritual, counter to the spirit that we want to have at Mass itself. So it's amazing how we sometimes relate to the time leading up to Mass. I want to encourage you to embrace this spiritual principle that's been part of our tradition for over a millennia. It was first written way, way back in like the third century, and it was this. You will dispose yourself, ready yourself to pray well, by getting into the condition you want to be in when you're praying in advance of the prayer itself. Did you get that? In other words, don't think that you will be calm and peaceful and attentive to the Lord at 10 o'clock when you start your prayer time if you're watching TV until 9.59.59. One of the ways that we will learn to be more attentive and receptive to the presence of Jesus who intends to show up is by using well the time we have before Mass. Before Mass. And so whether it's how early you get up or how early you start preparing or how early you arrive, You don't want to depart from the spirit you want to have at Mass before you even get into Mass. And so I know that takes planning. I know that takes some effort. But I tell you, it will help to shape how it is not only we're seeing Mass, but how it is we also help our kids to see Mass. Let's now come into the church. Okay, we come into the church. What's the first thing you do when you come into church? You bless yourself with holy water. Well, wait a minute. This act of blessing myself reminds me of my baptism. What happened to me when I was baptized? New life was given to me. Washed away original sin, any personal sin, if it wasn't as a child. Made a member of the church. Transformed into a child of God. By blessing myself, I'm reminding myself of my baptism that made me a member of the body of Christ, of the church, washing away sins. So I'm asking God to bless me, to wash away anything that is unclean, because I'm about to go into an action that is going to call upon my identity as a child of God. Now, that new life uh, that is one for me in baptism, this is blessing for me. Okay, now I come in, and I come in and I go into the pew. Do I just come in and I just kneel in the pew? No, what do I do? I genuflect. What's genuflect? I go down on one knee. Why do I do that? Why genuflect? What does genuflection mean? 
It comes from the historical origin of this action. Do you know who would do this? A soldier. In the Roman army, in the army of Caesar, when a Roman soldier would come into the presence of a high commander, a governor, the Caesar himself, he would genuflect. And what does the genuflect mean? Listen to the meaning of the gesture. I acknowledge that I have come into the presence of the one who has the right to command me. Command me and I will obey you. Is that the awareness? Is that the recognition we have? Is that the level of seeing? Is that the attitude we're displaying when we do that action? I am humbling myself. Not only that, but what am I also doing? What was the weapon, uh, the standard weapon of the Roman soldier? The sword. Where was the sword buckled? Left hip. Guess what I can't do if I am genuflecting on my right knee? I cannot draw my sword. I am not only humbling myself, I am laying down my ability to fight. I am in a powerless position. I put myself in a position, I lay down my arms. I have no ability or desire to put up any resistance to you. Wow. That is what the gesture of genuflection means? That's what it can mean. If the quality of our recognition is made manifest by our response. Okay, let's keep moving. Mass hasn't started yet. (laughs) I'm a child of God. I'm in the presence of the Lord who has the right to command me. And now, when Mass begins... What do you do? You stand up. You stand up. Mass doesn't begin when Father makes the sign of the cross. Mass begins with the procession. Where's Father when the procession starts? He's in the back. Why? He's running late. (laughs) No. What's he doing? His proper gesture, his first gesture, his first action that he makes as the priest who's going to preside and lead us through Mass, his first gesture is to process. It's his first gesture. is to. Now, why? Why is he processing? What's the first thing? Why is he doing that? He's showing us something. He's showing us something, that life on earth is a journey. We're walking somewhere. We're going somewhere. We're not home. We're headed somewhere. You are there to... You're watching... The, 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 the journey. He's, he's showing you, you're not home. Where's home? Heaven is home. This isn't home. We're here, but we're on the way. We're on the way home, heaven. Now, in the procession, where is he? Is he in the middle? Is it random? Is he, where is he? He's in the back. Who's at the front? The cross bearer. The one carrying Jesus crucified. You want to know the way home? The way home is by following the path of the cross. Wow. Oh, wait a minute. Who's behind the cross bearer? The one bearing the gospel. You want to know the way home? By being a follower. Who knows the Greek word for follower? Disciple. I follow the way of the gospel. I follow the good news. 
And as I follow the good news and I follow the way of the cross, I'm going to make it home. That's how I get home. All of that is on display as I haven't even, the Mass is just beginning. Now, let, let, let's, let's go back, actually. You come into church, and, and when you come into the church, one thing you'll notice about church architecture is that you have these very high ceilings often. Why? It's not to save on the heating bill, okay? No, there's a, there's a, a, a meaning inscribed in the very manner in which the churches are built themselves. This is worthy of hours of conversation. I'm going to synthesize it all down to just tiny little points that when you look at the history of church architecture, you'll notice certain styles that emphasize certain truths. So for instance, when you walk in so many churches, the natural thing to do when you come into a place with a really high ceiling is to do what? Why? At Mass, what are you doing? You are looking up. Not just looking up, but you are drawn up. In fact, so much of where the uh, ancient art was put was on the ceiling. Put on the ceiling because you are drawn up into the heavenly realities. Somehow what happens here connects us to what's happening there. In fact, if you look at sort of uh, Gothic churches, you'll notice things are kind of crowded in very sparse and dark until you look up and that's where the light is. You're drawn up out of darkness into light. The church, the walls are saying something to you. Stained glass windows, beautiful stained glass window right in the back there. You ever notice something about stained glass windows? They don't work at night. The beauty of a stained glass window is seen when you are on the inside, but the light that illuminates the stained glass window comes from beyond, from outside, and shines through to those who are on the inside. There's a light from beyond that breaks into the space where those who are gathered to worship God. Not only that, but you could look around, and what do you also see? Statues of great saints. I'll talk about that in just one more minute, about the importance of statues in churches and the, the meaning that it can evoke for us when we're there at Mass as well. Now, uh, the first thing then that Father does when he arrives at his presider's chair is he greets us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yes, let it be so. In the name of, what does that mean, in the name of? Somehow, when we gather in the name of, it's saying something about the identity, the essence, the nature. Do you, get, do you hear those words? Somehow, what we're saying is, when we gather here, we gather not in the name of the fact we're all Red Sox fans. In the name of the fact we all live in Fife. No, in the name of, in, in, in our common shared identity, in the reality that we find our identity even more than in my relationship with my spouse, the fact that I belong to this family and have this last name, the fact that I have these preferences in my life. No, in the fact that I find my deepest identity in my relationship with God, 
who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I've come into relationship with this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has come through the cross. All of that and the sign of the cross. My identity, who I am, who am I? I'm a child of the Father through the Son and his cross. Because of the gift of the Holy Spirit given to me in baptism. That's who we are as we gather. Wow. And then he says, the Lord be with you. And what do we respond back now? And with your spirit. And with your spirit. And you've probably learned that this change is a recovery. A recovery of a more accurate, literal translation from Latin that has a particular ability to highlight. Let's pay attention to what shows up with this change. To say, and with your spirit, what are we acknowledging? Well, the theological explanation is that very early on in the life of the church, when this response was used, the Lord be with you, he's saying the Lord is with you, the Lord is present to you, and the response of the assembly back is, and with your spirit, is identifying the distinct way in which Jesus Christ and his spirit lives in the priest. And the one ordained, the one ordained, the one who shares in the sacrament of holy orders, there's a distinct presence of Christ and activity of the spirit so that what distinguishes the priest isn't just where he sits and how he dresses, but rather there's something deeper There's something more profound happening in that one ordained who shares in the the life of the sacrament of holy orders. And so we acknowledge that as a community. What's the next thing that Father does? What he says is, think about your sins. Well, that's not very friendly. Why would Father, and the first thing that he does after greeting us, is to ask us to reflect on our sins? St. John of the Cross has an answer. To John of the Cross, this great uh, doctor of prayer, he proposes this. He says, when you come into the presence of God, say it with me, when you come into the presence of God, what you become aware of, first of all, is that which is nearest to you, your sins. Let me give it to you this way. Teenagers in the room, when you enter your teenager's bedroom, What you become aware of, first of all, is how neat it is, how organized it is, how how beautifully in order everything is in fantasy land. Unless you have a very organized child. uh, When you enter your teenager's room, what do you become aware of, first of all? The messiness, that which is out of order. When you come into the presence of God, who is infinitely holy, perfect in majesty, glorious and eternally glorious. You come into God's presence in, in that bright, perfect glory and purity of God's holiness. What does it cast a light on? I'm not perfectly pure and holy. I fall short. I've sinned. That's why Father says, you're about to enter into this event that is going to ask you to 
to enact, to, to live out your nature as a, as a child of God, well, we've got to deal with those parts of your life that are not child of God-like. And so we pray. What do we pray? I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned. When we acknowledge how great God is and perfect in holiness, we, we realize how greatly, in fact, we have fallen short. How have we sinned? In my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. And now we pray, we recover again another dimension of this penitential act through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. And so we, we're owning it. I did this. Now, wait a minute. Therefore, I ask the Blessed Mary of a Virgin. Okay, wait a minute. This now is going to open up the first of the four presences of Christ at Mass. The presence of Christ in the assembly, the community gathered, in the word proclaimed, in the priest who presides, and in the Eucharist that we receive. The first presence of Christ I want to draw attention to is in the community that gathers, that is gathered. The community that Christ gathers, the community that is present and through whom Christ is present at Mass. Let me ask you, how extensive, how expansive is that community that is gathered at Mass? Is it limited to those who share the space in the pews with you in the four walls of the church? No. No, in fact, the presence of Christ at Mass gathers together a community that goes beyond these four walls. Do you know how far it extends? It extends from earth to heaven. Who's present at Mass in this assembly that Christ gathers? The angels and the saints in heaven. At Mass, we are drawn into the reality of the worship of God in heaven while we are on earth. I mentioned the statues. The statues are here not simply to give us um, visible reminders of holy men and women who have been raised to the status of canonized saint in the church, nor are they here merely to identify who a particular church patron is or merely to say they're examples that we should follow, but at Mass, they are here with us. They are here with you. At Mass, we who worship on earth we are drawn into the worship of God in heaven. Time breaks into eternity. Eternity breaks into time. Earth is drawn into heaven. Heaven touches earth at mass. And so I ask, Blessed Mary, ever virgin, and all the angels and all the saints, and oh yeah, you my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. Pray for that for yourself. Pray for that for those you know who have lost a loved one, that they would sense the communion, that the veil that separates heaven and earth would thin for them at Mass, for they worship together around God's throne. Now, after we do this penitential act and ask, we confess our sins, what's the next thing that we do? We um, have this penitential act asking for God's mercy. 
we then cry out, we confess God's glory. We do the Gloria. Now, this idea of linking the two is very, very um, deeply connected in our tradition. The confession of St. Augustine, right? That book, his famous confession of St. Augustine. His confession is this, was he confessing his sins in this book or was he confessing God's glory in this book? Yes. He confesses the great glory of God and what does that also show? Ooh, wow, I gotta confess the way that I fall short. And so look at the way that we are invited, we're drawn into the words of confessing God's glory are put into our mouths. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to people of goodwill. Now this again, this translation is a recovery of the scriptural reference that the Gloria begins with. Where does that come from in the scriptures? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people of goodwill. The angel said that when? Said it to the shepherds at the birth of Jesus, at the nativity. The the shepherds hear this crying out, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to, to, to those of goodwill, to people of goodwill. Wait a minute. Who's singing the Gloria in the, in the scriptures? Angels. It's a song of heaven. Who's singing it here on earth? We are at mass. Do you get it? The church puts in your mouths a song of heaven while you're on earth. Why? To give you an indication that at mass, while you're on earth, you're sharing in the worship of heaven. And then to give this sense of the, the stunning quality of how glorious God is, the church has recovered this in the way that the Gloria is now prayed by us, sung by us. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory, Lord God Almighty. Oh God Almighty Father. It's, It's like you're at a football game and someone just scored a touchdown. Yeah! Woo! You're the best! Man, you're the man! Yeah! It's... We don't do that at Mass, somehow. We miss out on the way that these, the church gives us a gloria that is filled with these acclamations. We are supposed to be acclaiming these things, announcing, it's too much. How do we, if we can sing the gloria and we do so without sensing God's glory, God's majesty, God's holiness, we're gonna be bored. We're gonna say, couldn't they do the faster version? right? Do we have to really sing it this week? We're missing out on what there is to be shared in, what there is to be participating in, participating in the life of God in heaven. And then I I don't really have time to get through the rest of the Gloria, so I'll just end at the end of that. We have what's called the collect, where Father then prays in a traditional prayer stance, the orons, and praying to God is praying on our behalf, lifting us and our prayers to God, the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit, praying for us. And in doing this, he's getting through these introductory rite, the introductory rite of the, of the Mass. We haven't even entered into yet the first major section of the Mass, which is called the Liturgy of the Word. And that's what we're going to cover tomorrow. So we're going to walk through the Liturgy of the Word, and then On the third session, 
we're going to walk through the um, Eucharistic prayer. We're going to get through the first half of the um, the first half of the liturgy of the Eucharist, and then in the last day, we're going to uh, finish the uh, idea of the reception of Holy Communion, and then talk a bit more about outside of Mass and after Mass, how can we live in a way that will help foster an even deeper sense of appreciation for and the ability to sense the presence of Christ at Mass and what he's asking of us. So that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed over the rest of these sessions.